Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hello. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is with Dr. Susan. We have talked a lot about health, lifestyle, decisions, diet. We've emphasized the importance of organic foods and the extreme importance of avoiding processed foods. But why are we still sticking to our processed foods? Is there something in there that lures us that we can't resist? Is there some chemical formulation or something that the uh, food makers know that is making it very hard to stop these substances? We'll get an answer to some of these questions today. With us, we have Robert Lustig. Uh, Dr. Lustig is an emeritus professor in P- of pediatrics in the Division of Endocrinology and the Institute for Health Policy at the University of California, San Francisco. He's a neuroendocrinologist and a nutrition authority and has used his research to spark the global anti-sugar movement. His latest book, Hacking of the American Mind, discusses the causes and treatments of our addictions and depression crisis, and also mentioned how the corporations are hijacking our brains and behavior for their own profit. But very interesting is a couple of years ago, he was pioneering the exposure of the damage caused by sugaring foods. He's dispelling the myth of the sanctity of the low-fat diet as the way to achieve health. He argues that fructose, too much of it, and too little of fiber appear to be the cornerstones of the obesity epidemic, which is affecting our insulin levels and affecting our health. So in his latest book, The Hacking of the American Mind, he describes how the big business uses the science of addiction to keep us hooked to unhealthy foods. Result is our health suffers. He discusses how the marketing and the media subvert brain physiology to their advantage and veer us from the pursuit of happiness as well as the pursuit of health. So, with great pleasure, I welcome Dr. Lustig. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. My pleasure. Well, uh, one of the things that you've been pointing out is that we're getting sicker in our society. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, indeed. I, I, I posit in the book that America today suffers from four crises. We have a health care crisis. We have a social security crisis, we have an opioid crisis, and we have a depression crisis. What I argue is that actually those are just four manifestations of a single crisis. And that single crisis has been under the wire and something that people haven't recognized as being a problem. But when you understand how it is a problem, then everything else falls into place. And that problem is that we have basically lost our ability to differentiate two concepts, two positive emotions, pleasure and happiness. And ultimately what I will try to do in this next uh, 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 several minutes is try to tie those together for you and for the listeners. So the question is, Pleasure, happiness, who cares? 
they both feel good. Well, it matters a lot, and here's why. So, first of all, what's the difference between the two? Pleasure is short-lived. Happiness is long-lived. Pleasure is visceral. You feel it in your body. Happiness is ethereal. You feel it above the neck. Pleasure is taking. Happiness is giving. Pleasure is achieved alone. Happiness is usually achieved in social groups. Pleasure can be achieved with substances. Happiness cannot be achieved with substances. The extremes of pleasure whether it be substances or behaviors. So substances like cocaine, heroin, nicotine, alcohol, sugar, or behaviors like shopping, uh, internet, uh, video games, uh, social media, porn, all in the extreme lead to addiction. But there's no such thing as being addicted to too much happiness. And finally, the most important one, pleasure is dopamine and happiness is serotonin. So two different areas of the brain, Two different sets of neurotransmitters, two different regulatory pathways, two different receptors, two different mechanisms of action. So you say to me, like, um, so, big deal. Like, they both feel good. Why should I care? Well, it turns out you should care a lot. And the reason is because they don't do the same things. turns out dopamine is excitatory. When it is released from one neuron to the next, it excites that neuron. Now, neurons like to be excited. That's why they have receptors in the first place. But neurons are fragile. They like to be tickled, not bludgeoned. Chronic overstimulation of any neuron leads to neuronal cell death. So the second neuron has a defense mechanism, a plan B. What it does is it downregulates the receptor. Now, what that means in human terms, you get a hit. You get a rush, receptors go down. Next time, you need a bigger hit because there are fewer receptors to get the same rush, and the receptors go down, and then a bigger hit and a bigger hit and a bigger hit until finally you get a huge hit to get nothing. That phenomenon is called tolerance, and then when the neurons actually start to die, that's called addiction. Now, serotonin does not downregulate its own receptor because it's inhibitory neurotransmitter. It doesn't have to downregulate its own receptor because it's not killing anything. So you can't overdose on too much happiness. But there's one thing that downregulates serotonin, dopamine. So the more pleasure you seek, the more unhappy you get. Wow, that's kind of concerning. Uh, well, so... it's science-based. Uh, you know, people, you know, philosophers have warned us about this over, you know, the millennia. <clears throat> but, you know, when you actually understand the science, you can see how that might end up uh, wreaking havoc, not just in terms of your health, but in terms of your, you know, shall we say, holistic happiness. So how are they using the dopamine, which is our addiction, reward, pleasure, neurotransmitter versus the serotonin, which gives us contentment and happiness. How are they using this to make this happen? Well, they have to understand what corporations do. Um, You spent a fair amount of time in in the introduction talking about food, but you know there are a lot of other hedonic uh, uh, pleasures and behaviors that uh, are, uh, you know, immediately available. Let me give you an example. Susan, do you use Gmail? Yes. Okay. Now, Gmail is free. Everybody uses it. And there's a reason it's free. It's because it's addictive. Let me give you an example. Have you ever noticed 
that when you log into Gmail, it takes about two seconds for the new emails to pop up? Yes. You ever wonder why that was? You think it's slow Google's computer? just slow? Thought my computer was slow. No. <laughs> no, no. That's everybody's computer. <laughs> it's built in. It's actually engineered to give you a one to two second delay, very specifically to heighten your anticipation, because that's a shot of dopamine, right into the reward center, the nucleus accumbens. So that specific uh, um, action on the part of Google, which, by the way, is not just me saying this. This was actually Tristan Harris, a former Google executive, outing the company on 60 Minutes and the PBS NewsHour. You can watch his interview on YouTube right now where he basically left Google because of these egregious practices that are being um, perpetrated by not just Google but many other companies in order to get you hooked. So there was a book that came out in 2014 by an entrepreneur out in Silicon Valley by the name of Nir Ayal. And he wrote a book called Hooked, uh, How to Form form and Market Habit-Forming Products. And what he describes in that book is that there are four uh, pieces to the, um, shall we say, addiction puzzle. The first is the trigger, that is, of proverbial itch, if you will, like, for instance, your email going off on your cell phone. Uh, The second is the action, and it has to be a socially acceptable action. So the proverbial scratch, like answering your email, because currently answering your email in public is still considered socially acceptable. Whether it should be or not is another story, and we can talk about that. The third is called variable reward. And that's super important. So the reward for having checked your email can't be the same each time. If it is, then you won't be developing a habit. Um, For instance, let me uh, give you an example. Do you use your GPS? You never use GPS? Okay, well, good for you. (laughs) A lot of people use their GPS. Technologically advanced for this MIT engineer. (laughs) Right. The thing is that GPS always gives you the same answer each time, so you don't have to perennially and continually do it. But your email and, you know, your Instagram account and your Facebook account is giving you variable reward inconsistently, I should say. Um, So the likes on Facebook are the exact same thing as the delay on Gmail, giving you that dopamine rush. And then finally, the last part of this is is the only one that the uh, company cares about, and that's investment, so that you'll go out and spend money on the next iPhone, for instance, or you know, uh, you know, put that plunk down money for you know the next internet tool or whatever it is that uh, is keeping you addicted. And it doesn't have to be behaviors, of course. You know, substances do this uh, as well. Uh, all the substances we mentioned, plus many others. Um, so the the point is that we now live 24-7-365 immediate gratification pleasure universe. And what it's doing is it is constantly bombarding our dopamine receptors in our brains with messages that are for hedonic pleasure. In the process, driving down our serotonin and sapping us of happiness. 
in the in addition, all of those things that are hedonic have health uh, uh, detriments associated with them. The cortisol, the dopamine that come from uh, those hedonic uh, uh, stimuli ultimately lead to changes in the brain, changes in our personalities, changes in our ability to concentrate, and ultimately things that uh, contribute to metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, uh, uh, hypertension, uh, cardiovascular disease, and ultimately cancer and dementia as well. And all of those are now tied together through these behaviors and substances. Every single thing that drives dopamine has been shown to be unhealthy for you and to contribute to medical costs. So this is a real problem. Are, they, are you saying that they actually know the science or they know the effect and they're using it in the corporations? Every, every corporation now has neuroscientists working with them very specifically to get you to utilize their product more. And since all companies are in competition with each other within any given space, they've all hired neuroscientists. And uh, these, these, uh, um, these uh, scientists are using the science of addiction to their advantage and against us. Wow, that's pretty alarming. Now, you mentioned that dopamine, anything that stirs up our dopamine is bad for our health? I mean, what about a little dopamine? What about when we fall in love and don't take it to an extreme? Well, okay, so let's talk about falling in love. That's a a perfectly uh, good place to start. So here's a statement. I love you, now let's make love. What do those two different versions of love have to do with each other? Well, one, the female would be more on track with one of those, and the male might be more on track with the other. (laughs) Indeed. In fact, they have very little to do with each other. So, sex is reward. No question, and reward is survival of the species. So, if sex wasn't inherently rewarding, no one would do it, and the species would die out. So, it's absolutely essential that um, sex be rewarding at the dopamine and also at the endogenous opioid level in the brain to deliver a first-class reward. However, love, that is, the contentment of being in a relationship, is completely different and is um, virtually unrelated to uh, sex. One of the reasons why uh, they seem to be so dissociated in our uh, society. So, sex is dopamine, love is serotonin. Now, it turns out that when one is in love, have you ever, no, have, I assume you've been in love in the past? You know, Absolutely. You, know, you, you, tend, <laughs> you tend to do really stupid things. Absolutely. Okay? It's, it's actually, believe it or not, a form of acquired obsessive compulsive disorder okay. where dopamine is heightened and serotonin is diminished. And this is what we see in OCD. And we have the um, neuroimaging. We have the PET scans of what's going on in the dopamine and the serotonin systems in people who are in love. That is, having that OCD reaction to this phenomenon of, you know, best-termed infatuation. So, in fact, virtually every emotion that we feel 
is really manifestations of our inward biochemistry. And when you understand that biochemistry, you can actually parse what is going on. And what I, what I, say, what I explain in the book is that everyone wants to be happy. It is the singularly number one uh, uh, a goal uh, for attainment uh, across the entire world. Yet we're doing a really lot job of getting there. And part of the reason is because we don't even know what it means. And part of the reason we don't know what it means is because we've been told that, it's, that, that happiness is, in fact, really pleasure. We've been told by corporations. Let me give you an example. Coca-Cola's open happiness campaign, 10 years, ran from 2005 to 2015. The longest running uh, 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 campaign for the company in its entire history. You think that was by accident? Was there any happiness in that bottle? A lot of pleasure. Sugar and caffeine. Any other things in there? You know, like um, uh, phosphoric acid, caramel coloring, salt, uh, water. You think there's any um, uh, happiness in there? whole lot of pleasure. Um, what about uh, um, happy hour? Any happiness there? Uh, and, and the list goes on. Um, uh, if you ever uh, go on YouTube, uh, go to Pharrell Williams, who you know, uh, had that hit song, Happy. Go to Happy 12 a.m., where he's in South Central L.A. in a convenience store at a gas station buying a Red Bull, two candy bars, <laughs> and a bag of potato chips at midnight. You think he's happy? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's great for product placement, but it's not so great for, you know, actually explaining to people what happiness really is. Then throw a little stress on the cortisol. And what cortisol does is it revs up that dopamine by actually inhibiting the inhibitory factors that uh, on dopamine. So you actually rev up your dopamine even higher, and it also downregulates the serotonin receptors so you get even less in the way of contentment. And so you can actually put the part of your brain that keeps you from doing stupid things called the prefrontal cortex, the Jiminy Cricket of your brain, if you will, and it actually puts it into suspended animation so that you will do even more stupid things and try wow. to generate even more pleasure. So it becomes a vicious cycle of consumption, pleasure, which is waning, and unhappiness, which ultimately leads to bad health, Healthcare and our healthcare and opioid crises. Yes, because uh, we've had many speakers talk about cortisol. It sets off an inflammatory uh, pathway. It's in response to stress. It's connected with the flight or sight or sympathetic overload. And it does lead to a lot of different diseases. I mean, the science shows that. Are there other mechanisms through which uh, the excess dopamine leads to illness? Well, um, so excess dopamine will lead to addiction, of course, because of the downregulation of its receptor and those, you know, that neuronal cell death. So in that respect, uh, dopamine certainly does that. In addition, the behaviors that dopamine drives, uh, the consumption of high energy density and sweet food, leads to metabolic syndrome. So that is the constellation of type 2 diabetes, hypertension, lipid problems, heart disease, cancer, dementia. Uh, and so that clearly has a health cost. 
Now, what was interesting is that there, is, there was a study that came out of the UK just last year known as the Million Women Study. And they actually looked at what happened to a million women based on several questionnaires that they took. One of the questionnaires uh, looking at their level of happiness. And it turned out that when they looked at people who were unhappy, women who were unhappy, they had poor health. But it turned out it wasn't the unhappiness per se that led to the poor health. It was the behaviors that were associated with their unhappiness, such as smoking, alcohol, and uh, sugar consumption, that ultimately led to the poorer health and the uh, earlier mortality. So unhappiness in and of itself doesn't kill you. The behaviors that unhappiness unleashes kills you. I mean, we've had several speakers say that our population is getting chronically sicker. For example, one half of us have a chronic disease. Uh, a quarter of us have more than one chronic disease. We're spending a, a large percentage of our budget on chronic diseases. I think it's 18% of our gross national product. So is this, right. do you think, one of the major contributors for our health care crisis? Absolutely. If you look at... The way healthcare is right now, we we spend 3.2 trillion dollars on healthcare in this country. By the way, 65 percent of that is footed by the federal government. So when you think about it, that is a tremendous burden on every single taxpayer, whether they are sick or not. So everyone ultimately pays for this. Now, of that 3.2 trillion dollars. 75% of it is chronic metabolic disease. Those diseases I mentioned, hypertension, lipid problems, type 2 diabetes, cancer, dementia, heart disease. Uh, um, uh, uh, Alzheimer's alone is $200 billion and continuing to go up. So when you add those together, that is a... Uh, and 75% of it is chronic metabolic disease. Now, if we could return the rates of those diseases back to 1970 levels before our processed food epidemic, before our unhappiness epidemic, if we could return it to those levels, we could uh, basically um, reverse 75% of the, of the chronic metabolic disease. So when you do the math, 75% of 75% of 3.2 trillion, that's 1.8 trillion dollars a year going down a rat hole. Now, what do you think we could do in our society if we could recoup 1.8 trillion dollars a year? A lot. Well, we could certainly solve the health care crisis, and I would posit that we could solve the budget crisis, and I would posit that we would actually be a whole lot better off. The problem is we can't because we end up losing triple what the food industry makes cleaning up their mess. This is unsustainable and ultimately is contributing to the devolution of our society and, of course, all of the political ramifications of that that we have seen that have uh, taken place over this last year. I think I've heard some people say just the cost of treating diabetes alone will bankrupt the U.S. government. By, by the year 2030, it is expected that 42% of all uh, Americans will be obese, and by the year 2050, one-third will be diabetic. 
So the cost of diabetes is astronomical. And it's not just in terms of health care. It's in terms of productivity. It's not just the negative side of the ledger. It's the positive side of the ledger also. Because those diabetics are not going to work. And they're not, and when they are going to work, they're not being productive because they're in the bathroom every hour peeing their brains out. So the change in not just um, health care expenditures, but the change in economic productivity actually led Morgan Stanley, an international investment bank, to model what our economic productivity would look like based on a low-sugar case, which we don't have, and a high-sugar case, which we do have. And by the year 2035, Morgan Stanley estimates that our economic growth in this country will be at 0.0%. We will achieve economic stagnation because of the way we are currently consuming. Now, who is that? Uh, on, on this sobering note, uh, we're coming to a break, and we will have more, learn more uh, when we return. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. That's Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is uh, Occupy Health with Dr. Susan. And with us, we have Dr. Robert Lustig, who's giving us some fascinating information on how the various signals we receive marketing at affects our choices and how those choices are affecting our health, much to our detriment. So let's explore this a little bit more. I mean, is the government doing anything to help us with this issue? How did we uh, get if anything, here? I was going to say, if anything, the government has actually uh, enabled uh, these uh, uh, phenomena um, it, it, because it's in their interest, uh, at least uh, uh, short term. I think in the long term, it is clearly against their interest since they're ending up, ha- ending up having to pay for it. Uh, but they haven't necessarily yoked their actions to uh, you know, these crises, these things. I'm sure they think these things come out of nowhere, and they don't. Uh, they don't come out of nowhere at all. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, in uh, 1929, we suffered the first major depression. Uh, 
Great Depression. And because of it, we ended up adopting a, um, an index to try to determine whether or not we were climbing out of that depression. And that index was called Gross Domestic Product, GDP. The gentleman who invented Gross Domestic Product was a guy by the name of Simon Kuznets. And he actually warned the government about using this uh, indicator as a method for determining the welfare of the nation. That it was a method for determining productivity, but not welfare. But that has been lost in translation. In fact, it's all about GDP. It's all about whether or not uh, we are generating a higher GDP. In fact, the entire world has turned to GDP. And the thing is that GDP, number one, you can lie really easy, number one. Number two, turns out GDP often works at cross-purposes. For instance, I'll give you an example. Um, Productivity in America is food plus pharma, but health is food minus pharma. But both food and pharma go into GDP. In addition, sustainability is not measured in GDP. So as we do damage to the planet and, of course, to our country's natural resources, GDP goes up, but our ability to be able to maintain that will be going down, is going down. Uh, as climate change and um, uh, you know soil erosion and all of these other things that happen because of our current uh, food and industrial practices, so GDP turns out to actually be sort of a a bad hook, if you will. In addition, many other things have gone on over the years that have uh, sort of uh, taken its toll. Um, in the nineteen sorry in the eighteen eighties. We had the robber barons who were trying to sort of corner their markets, you know, whether it be railroad or oil. Uh, in the uh, early 1900s, we had Teddy Roosevelt trying to counterbalance that with, you know, the, uh, uh, breaking the bank's monopolies and the F, uh, the, instituting the FDA, et cetera. In the 1920s, we had land speculation, we had Teapot Dome, we had uh, what led to the First Depression, very similar to what happened in 2008, in terms of uh, uh, speculation, uh, in the 1930s, we had FDR and the WPA and uh, uh, the SEC and the FDIC trying to undo those, that, those damages. In the 1940s and 50s, we had McCarthyism and communism rolling back uh, individual rights. In the 1960s, we had Rachel Carson and Silent Spring. We had Ralph Nader. We had the consumer rights movement trying to improve individual rights. So you can see that over the course of you know, the last hundred years or so, there's been an ebb and flow, uh, a counterbalancing of individual versus uh, corporate rights in this country. And then it stopped. And it stopped in 1971. And it stopped because of one man. And, you know, you'd say, well, who was this guy? He, he was pretty dangerous. Well, it turns out, he was an associate justice of the Supreme Court. His name was Louis F. Powell, Jr. He's written about in uh, Nicholas Freudenberg's uh, uh, book, uh, Lethal But Legal. I've done my own research on Louis Powell, uh, having uh, gone to law school, to see exactly what he was involved in. turns out he was never a judge. He was never a constitutional lawyer. He was a corporate lawyer for Philip Morris. 
he actually defended Philip Morris and other tobacco companies against all of the lawsuits back in the 1960s and 70s uh, for lung cancer. Um, he was appointed by Richard Nixon, and he believed in corporate secrecy above all else, and he believed that corporations had to take back America. In fact, he wrote a famous uh, uh, memorandum that went to virtually every corporate CEO in the United States, and you can read it online today. It's called Attack on the American Free Enterprise System, where he basically said that Corporations had to take back America from the masses, from the heathens, because we were going to break this country. Um, we, 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 we heathens, um, that only corporations could exert appropriate control. And um, that's exactly what's happened. In fact, wow. that is, um, there are many Supreme Court decisions that have usurped um, uh, uh, individual rights and given them to corporations, ultimately with the uh, uh, final verdict of Citizens United, where corporations are now people. Uh, so people who work for corporations have the rights of people and the rights of corporations, which means that no one ever goes to jail. And you can see that from what happened in the 2008 um, uh, 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 you know, uh, recession. No one went to jail. Um, it, in addition, uh, uh, free speech is now afforded corporations, so commercial speech is now free speech. So corporations can say anything they want. I would you like to expand on this that a, a little corporation bit. corporation is saying something false, rather I've, than that they have to prove that they're saying something true. I'd like to expand on this a little bit, because like the Food and Drug Administration, their scientists were recommending extreme caution with GMO before yep. it came out, and the FDA pushed it. Um, in EMF, uh, we you know there's laws that we can't uh, stop the placement of cell towers for health reasons. Uh, right. This just goes on and on and on. Exactly right. So and we don't have the right to know if genetically modified food materials in our food and. I have spoken to researchers that said genetically modified food alone is going to harm us, but the glyphosate on top of that is going to harm us, and glyphosate is in all of our organic food, and we're not going to have any food left that we can eat in this country is what I'm concerned about. Well, yeah, and, and it is a big concern, and the uh, glyphosate story is one that continues to be um, uh, 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 percolating, but uh, the government has done absolutely nothing to help and in fact uh, the 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 new EPA of course will be um, you know not just doing nothing but uh, uh, allowing for all of these uh, 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 inf infringements on our well-being so uh, I'm I'm very clear on what the issues are the question is what to do about it so all of these things are designed to up our uh, our pleasure our reward our dopamine keep us spending, keep us buying their products, keep us uh, in the dark as to exactly what role our uh, current hedonic um, disposition is playing in terms of our health, our health care, uh, our environment, our sustainability, our ability to pass on a uh, you know, better world to our children. Uh, I take care of children for a living. You know, I am a pediatrician. And, um, you know, kids today grow horizontally, not vertically. 
And, uh, you know, I see what, what the damage of this uh, current uh, environment is doing to our children. And, you know, the, the point of the book is to get, you know, the readers uh, to see it too and to understand exactly what's going on and why. Wow. So what can we as individuals do to help with our own health and tendency toward addictions? Well, so in, in the book, I, I, it, it's not a completely dark picture. <laughs> there, there are four things that will up your serotonin by tamping down on your dopamine and your cortisol so you can achieve happiness and also pleasure. There's nothing wrong with having both, just, shall we say, in uh, a slightly different balance than we currently have it. And the most important thing about these four items is that they are available to every single human being on the planet, and they are free. And they are evidence-based with a money-back guarantee, except since they didn't cost anything, don't expect a refund. (laughs) And... I call them the four C's, okay? And they are, again, available to everyone. The first C, connect. Now, what does that mean? Connect does not mean Facebook. Connect means interpersonal, eye-to-eye, face-to-face connection. You have to actually be in the person's presence. Doing it over the phone doesn't cut it. And certainly doing it digitally doesn't cut it. You cannot have a connection with anonymous, and emojis do not convey empathy. Um, It has to be face-to-face, and the reason is because we have a set of neurons in the back of our head called mirror neurons, and these neurons are reading our facial expressions, you know, the person you're talking to's facial expressions, on a second-to-second, minute-to-minute basis in real time. And in the process, we end up adopting some of those same emotions that the person we're talking to has. And this is a process that we have a name for. It's called empathy. And empathy is a specific driver and promoter of serotonin. And without empathy, you don't. So psychopaths feel no empathy. They also feel no happiness. They also feel no connection to other people which is why they are psychopaths. They don't have the ability to generate serotonin. And, you know, psychopaths like to populate um, politics, unfortunately, because (laughs) it's about power, not about the connection. So that's um, number one. Religion is about connection. So we have how many dozens or how many hundreds of religions on the planet? And you know what? They all work. And the reason they work is not because of what the religion says. It's because every religion has, at its core, community. That is, coming together in a central place where people worship together because it is the connection that you make, the interpersonal connection, that actually drives the emotional well-being that comes from religion. If anything, religion might actually be dopamine because of the zealotry And that's actually been shown to heighten dopamine neurotransmission. So, connect. Number two, contribute. And contribute does not mean to your IRA. Contribute means outside of yourself. It can be to your family, it can be to your friends, it can be to society at large. But ultimately, 
something that you view as your gift to others, to the world, and it's not for brownie points. So, like Boy Scout badges do not count as contribute. Um, it has to be something that you yourself personally give of yourself. It can be in terms of your time, it can be in terms of volunteerism, it can be in terms of altruism, philanthropy, you can get someone to pay, do it for you, to pay, you know, pay someone to do it for you. Um, obviously, the one question everybody always asks is, you know, can work count as contribution? And the answer is yes, it can, with two provisos. The first is, you have to see that your work benefits others, and two, your boss has to be able to see it as well. If so, then yes, work can count as contribution, and you can generate serotonin and happiness from that. Number three, cope. And cope means three specific things. Sleep, mindfulness, and exercise. Okay, these are all things that lower your cortisol, lower your stress. And by doing so, you actually tamp down on that dopamine and you up your serotonin receptors so you can improve your serotonin signaling. Now, right now, 35% of America is sleep-deprived and 23% of adults have a clinical insomnia. One of the reasons is the screens, whether it's the TV or the iPhone or you know, uh, you know, the computer, the laptop. Ultimately, the blue light keeps people awake. My colleague, Chris Madsen at UC Berkeley, demonstrated that kids who charge their cell phone in their room get 28 minutes less sleep per night than kids that charge their cell phone outside their room, unrelated to using the cell phone, just because the cell phone is there, because the blue light keeps emanating. Um, I'd like to make a couple of comments. Is the blue light also depletes melatonin, which is very important for getting to sleep. And so some absolutely. people have recommended uh, amber glasses to help mitigate that. And also EMF affects our cells and uh, can uh, you know make the gut and the brain permeable, and it can cause all sorts of problems on its own. Yes, absolutely. So you know, so so the screens are definitely sapping our happiness uh, through these various methods by upping our cortisol and making us way more miserable. Plus, of course, all of the, shall we say, unpleasant variable reward that comes in uh, through those cell phones, the content itself. Um, mindfulness. One of the buzzwords of the new millennium is multitasking, and everybody prizes the multitasker who can do, a, you know, 10 things at once. Turns out, only 2.5% of the population can actually multitask. Everyone else is serially unitasking. And while they're doing that, every time they switch from one task to the next, they get a bump of cortisol, only making them more miserable. So the fact that we are all expected now to multitask because that's how you keep your job is contributing to significant unhappiness through cortisol. And then finally, exercise. Now, Exercise turns out to be more potent than SSRIs at alleviating depression. Exercise drives serotonin specifically. And the thing is, people who are depressed don't want to exercise. <laughs> but if you get them to exercise, they can actually alleviate their depression without medicines. And since 24% of America is now on a form of SSRI for one 
you know, disease or one, you know, condition or another. Um, you know, this is our depression crisis, you know, basically lock, stock, and barrel. So the fact um, that we are as sedentary as we are, in part because of the screens and in part because we are unhappy because we don't want to exercise, this is driving, um, you know, uh, further uh, health care costs um, uh, sky high. And then l- lastly, number four, cook. Now, cook means making your meals yourself, for yourself, for your friends, for your family, because there are three items in food that actually do something to your serotonin. The first is tryptophan, which is the rarest amino acid. It is the precursor of serotonin. And tryptophan is actually hard to come by. The places where you find it in food are eggs, the highest quality uh, of uh, protein that we have, high in uh, tryptophan, uh, poultry uh, to a lesser extent, and also fish also to a lesser extent. Now, eggs, fish, and poultry are not exactly, um, you know, shall we say, high on process, the processed food chart um, because all of them go rancid and, or curdle. So when you're eating processed food, you are getting way less tryptophan in order to make the serotonin than you would normally want. Second, omega-3 fatty acids. Turns out omega-3 fatty acids are anti-inflammatory. You can see in omega-3 fatty acid deficient mice and rats, you can actually see inflammation around the synaptic terminals in the brain, which go away when you resupply the omega-3s. And so though that inflammatory um, uh, haze that one sees is uh, interfering with serotonin transmission. And so omega-3s are important in terms of basically maintaining normal neurotransmission in the brain. And the thing is, omega-3s are in marine life and, you know, like salmon and flax, but only wild salmon, not farmed salmon. Farmed salmon are omega-6s. So, you know, again, uh, real food, not processed food. And then finally, the one that takes serotonin away, fructose, so sugar. Um, the more sugar, less serotonin. More dopamine, more pleasure, more reward, but less serotonin, less contentment, less emotional well-being, and of course, metabolic syndrome on uh, to boot. So, real food is high tryptophan, high omega threes, low fructose. Processed food is low tryptophan, low omega threes, high fructose. So. Real food works and processed food doesn't. But real food means cooking for yourself rather than letting someone else do it for you. So there are the four C's. uh, Connect, contribute, cope, and cook. All things your mother told you. All things that, you know, are out there in the zeitgeist as being important, but you didn't understand why. We actually have the science to explain why these things work and why they're important and how we are losing all four of those due to our current built and processed food environment. Well, I'd like to reaffirm that the research studies do show that religion, any spiritual belief will help in healing, Um, community helps sleep helps, exercise helps, and one of the roots that supports the brain is by generating BDNF, and it is an important 
uh, and helping reverse depression, and, and omega-3. So what he's saying is definitely research-based. Uh, well, I have a question. Um, protein yeah, apparently um, decreases dopamine by competing for the tyrosine transport across the brain, brain barrier. So would protein, uh, exclusive of the poultry, be something to help with this? Right. So, so what you're referring to is the fact that amino acids are transported in, into the brain with specific transporters. And there's a specific transporter for aromatic amino acids. So there are three aromatic amino acids. There's phenylalanine, there's tyrosine, and there's tryptophan. They all share this one amino acid transporter. And that amino acid transporter is at relatively low concentration. So when you have a diet that is high in phenylalanine and tyrosine, phenylalanine, by the way, is what's in diet soda, right? That's why it says phenylketonurex contains phenylalanine on the warning label of diet soda. What you're doing is you're... Um, uh, Occupying that receptor, kind of like trying to find a cab, uh, you know, uh, in New York City on New Year's Eve. You know, they're they're all taken. Uh, you know, so trying to get a cab is pretty tough. Well, trying to get tryptophan across the blood-brain barrier when you have these other amino acids in higher concentration occupying that receptor, uh, that transporter. Sorry, to get it across ultimately leads to a reduction in the ability to make tryptophan into serotonin, and so, therefore, a reduction in well-being. And I will tell you that there are very few people who drink diet soda who are truly happy. Think about it. I agree. Okay. Um, also, um, that if you eat a lot of sweets, that doesn't that help increase the tryptophan and the serotonin uh, temporary happiness? Well... So if, you, if you're consuming a high-carbohydrate diet, what happens is, number one, you're getting uh, a jolt of reward, you know, the dopamine from the fructose in the, in the sugar, you know, like chocolate cake. And what you're doing is you're depriving the brain of the phenylalanine and the uh, tyrosine because you're eating carbohydrate, not protein. And so, you know, for a short period of time, you will have less occupancy of that transporter. So maybe, just maybe, you can get some tryptophan across. This was the concept behind um, the uh, serotonin agonists um, like Redux and Fenfen. Uh, which, of course, you know, had their own negative effects and were ultimately taken off the market. We're coming close to a close now, so we've got three minutes left. Are there any final summarizing points you would like to make? Any uh, comments for our audience? Or if people want to get a hold of you, do you want to share that as well? Sure. Here's, here's what I would say. To paraphrase Benjamin Franklin, those who abdicate Happiness for pleasure will end up with neither. Um, you know, we need both in our lives. Happiness is no good without pleasure, and pleasure is no good without happiness. But we shouldn't be pursuing pleasure to the exclusion of happiness, which is what we are doing right now with our current consumer culture. You have to be a little bit more mindful of what it is that you're doing and why it is you're doing it. And, you know, I would suggest that the book will
provide a scientific basis for rethinking your actions, rethinking your life, and understanding how your brain, how your limbic system, how your emotions have been hacked by corporations with government complicity and approval. So, you know, it's important in order for you to be able to uh, uh, improve your own health and that of your family and ultimately of the community around you. Um, If you want to learn more, uh, you can go to my website, robertlustig.com. You can go to our nonprofit website, uh, eatreal.org. You can go to my UCSF website, uh, you know, to learn about the research that we're doing. Um, ultimately, I hope you'll read this book because um, uh, you can't uh, fix a problem if you don't understand it. You have to know how you dr- uh, uh, drove into the ditch in order to extricate yourself out of it. Wow, that's quite impressive. I mean, so our whole attempts to try to get healthy are being challenged by roadblocks that are set up by uh, corporations or whatever, by the temptations of processed foods, and that's really making it hard for us to get on the path that we want to be on for our long-term health. Well, listener, I really recommend you get this book, The Hacking of the American Mind, The Science Behind the Corporate Takeover of Our Bodies and Brains. So please check this book out. Do your own research uh, so you can help yourself and help others uh, and work with your uh, physician and clinician. And above all, be well. for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. serotonin 
cope means three specific things. Sleep, mindfulness, and exercise. Okay, these are all things that lower your cortisol, lower your stress. And by doing so, you actually tamp down on that dopamine and you up your serotonin receptors so you can improve your serotonin signaling. Now, right now, 35% of America is sleep-deprived and 23% of adults have clinical insomnia. One of the reasons is the screens, whether it be the TV or the iPhone or you know, uh, you know, the computer, the laptop. Ultimately, the blue light keeps people awake. My colleague, Chris Madsen at UC Berkeley, demonstrated that kids who charge their cell phone in their room get 28 minutes less sleep per night than kids that charge their cell phone outside their room, unrelated to using the cell phone just because the cell phone is there, because the blue light keeps emanating. Um, I'd like to make a couple of comments. Is the blue light also depletes melatonin, which is very important for getting to sleep. And so some absolutely. people have recommended uh, amber glasses to help mitigate that. And also EMF affects our cells and uh, can... Uh, you know, make the gut and the brain permeable, and it can cause all sorts of problems on its own. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, so so the screens are definitely sapping our happiness uh, through these various methods by upping our cortisol and making us way more miserable. Plus, of course, all of the, shall we say, unpleasant variable reward that comes in uh, through those cell phones, the content itself. Um, Mindfulness. One of the buzzwords of the new millennium is multitasking, and everybody prizes the multitasker who can do, you know, 10 things at once. Turns out only 2.5% of the population can actually multitask. Everyone else is serially unitasking, and while they're doing that, every time they switch from one task to the next, they get a bump of cortisol, only making them more miserable. So the fact that we are all expected now to multitask because that's how you keep your job is contributing to significant unhappiness through cortisol. And then finally, exercise. Now, exercise turns out to be more potent than SSRIs at alleviating depression. Exercise drives serotonin specifically. And the thing is, people who are depressed don't want to exercise, <laughs> but if you get them to exercise, they can actually alleviate their depression without medicines. And since 24% of America is now on a form of SSRI for one, you know, disease or one, you know, condition or another, um, you know, this is our depression crisis, you know, basically lock, stock, and barrel. So the fact um, that we are as sedentary as we are, in part because of the screens and in part because we are unhappy because we don't want to exercise, this is driving um, you know, uh, further uh, health care costs um, uh, sky high. And then l- lastly, number four, cook. Now, cook means making your meals yourself for yourself, for your friends, for your family, because there are three items in food that actually do something to your serotonin. The first is tryptophan, which is the rarest amino acid. It is the precursor of serotonin. And tryptophan is actually hard to come by. The places where you find it in food are eggs, the highest 
protein that we have, high in uh, tryptophan, uh, poultry uh, to a lesser extent, and also fish also to a lesser extent. Now, eggs, fish, and poultry are not exactly, um, you know, shall we say, high on process, the processed food chart um, because all of them go rancid and, or curdle. So when you're eating processed food, you are getting way less tryptophan in order to make the serotonin than you would normally want. Second, omega-3 fatty acids. Turns out omega-3 fatty acids are anti-inflammatory. You can see in omega-3 fatty acid deficient mice and rats, you can actually see inflammation around the synaptic terminals in the brain, which go away when you resupply the omega-3s. And so though that inflammatory um, uh, haze that one sees is uh, interfering with serotonin transmission. And so omega-3s are important in terms of basically maintaining normal neurotransmission in the brain. And the thing is, omega-3s are in marine life and, you know, like salmon and flax, but only wild salmon, not farm salmon. Farm salmon are omega-6s. So, you know, again, uh, real food, not processed food. And then finally, the one that takes serotonin away, fructose, so sugar. Um, the more sugar, less serotonin. More dopamine, more pleasure, more reward, but less serotonin, less contentment, less emotional well-being, and of course, metabolic syndrome on uh, to boot. So, real food is high tryptophan, high omega threes, low fructose. Processed food is low tryptophan, low omega threes, high fructose. So. Real food works, and processed food doesn't. But real food means cooking for yourself rather than letting someone else do it for you. So there are the four C's. Connect, contribute, cope, and cook. All things your mother told you. All things that you know are out there in the zeitgeist as being important, but you didn't understand why. We actually have the science to explain why these things work and why they're important and how we are losing all four of those due to our current built and processed food environment. Well, I'd like to reaffirm that the research studies do show that religion, any spiritual belief will help in healing, um, community helps. Sleep helps, exercise helps, and one of the roots that supports the brain is by generating BDNF, and it is important uh, in helping reverse depression and, and omega-3. So what he's saying is definitely research-based. Uh, well, I have a question. Um, protein yeah, apparently um, decreases dopamine by competing for the tyrosine transport across the brain barrier. So would protein... Uh, exclusive of the poultry, be something to help with this? Right. So, so what you're referring to is the fact that amino acids are transported in, into the brain with specific transporters. And there's a specific transporter for aromatic amino acids. So there are three aromatic amino acids. There's phenylalanine, there's tyrosine, and there's tryptophan. They all share this one amino acid transporter. And that amino acid transporter is at relatively low concentration. So when you have a diet,
diet that is high in phenylalanine and tyrosine. Phenylalanine, by the way, is what's in diet soda, right? That's why it says phenylketonurics contains phenylalanine on the warning label of diet soda. What you're doing is you're um, uh, occupying that receptor, kind of like trying to find a cab, uh, you know, uh, in New York City on New Year's Eve. You know, they're they're all taken. Uh, you know, so trying to get a cab is pretty tough. Well, trying to get tryptophan across the blood-brain barrier when you have these other amino acids in higher concentration occupying that receptor, uh, that transporter, sorry, to get it across ultimately leads to a reduction in the ability to make tryptophan into serotonin and so, therefore, a reduction in well-being. And I will tell you that there are very few people who drink diet soda who are truly happy. Think about it. I agree. Okay. Um, also, um, that if you eat a lot of sweets, that doesn't that help increase the tryptophan and the serotonin uh, temporary happiness? Well, so if, you, if you're consuming a high-carbohydrate diet, what happens is, number one, you're getting uh, a jolt of reward, you know, the dopamine from the fructose in the, in the sugar, you know, like chocolate cake. And what you're doing is you're uh, depriving the brain of the phenylalanine and the uh, tyrosine because you're eating carbohydrate, not protein. And so, you know, for a short period of time, you will have less occupancy of that transporter. So maybe just maybe you can get some tryptophan across. This was the concept behind um, the uh, serotonin agonists um, like Redux and Fenfen, uh, which, of course, you know, had their own negative effects and were ultimately taken off the market. We're coming close to a close now, so we've got three minutes left. Are there any final summarizing points you would like to make? Any uh, comments for our audience? Or if people want to get a hold of you, do you want to share that as well? Sure. Here's, here's what I would say. To paraphrase Benjamin Franklin, those who abdicate happiness for pleasure will end up with neither. Um, you know, we need both in our lives. Happiness is no good without pleasure, and pleasure is no good without happiness. But we shouldn't be pursuing pleasure to the exclusion of happiness, which is what we are doing right now with our current consumer culture. You have to be a little bit more mindful of what it is that you're doing and why it is you're doing it. And, you know, I would suggest that the book will provide a scientific basis for rethinking your actions, rethinking your life, and understanding how your brain, how your limbic system, how your emotions have been hacked by corporations with government complicity and approval. So, you know, it's important in order for you to be able to uh, uh, improve your own health and that of your family and ultimately of the community around you. Um, If you want to learn more, uh, you can go to my website, robertlustig.com. You can go to our nonprofit website, uh, eatreal.org. You can go to my UCSF website, uh, you know, to learn about the research that we're doing. Um, ultimately, I hope you'll read this book because um, uh, you can't uh, fix a problem if you don't understand it. You have to know how you dro- uh, uh, drove into the ditch in order to extricate yourself out of it. 
Wow, that's quite impressive. I mean, so our whole attempts to try to get healthy are being challenged by roadblocks that are set up by uh, corporations or whatever, by the temptations of processed foods, and that's really making it hard for us to get on the path that we want to be on for our long-term health. Well, listener, I really recommend you get this book, The Hacking of the American Mind, The Science Behind the Corporate Takeover of Our Bodies and Brains. So please check this book out. Do your own research uh, so you can help yourself and help others uh, and work with your uh, physician and clinician. And above all, be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.